0: Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Good afternoon, everyone, um, and good day, wherever you may be. I'm Patricia Schuker, founder of the Global Impact Discussion Series at the Institute of World Politics in Washington, DC. IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs offering master's degree, executive programs and a new doctoral program. Um, Feel free to contact IWP for more information. I am thrilled uh, to launch a new sub series uh, called US East Asia lecture series, uh, which will take a unique perspective to strengthen the link between prominent scholars and other experts on Asia and contemporary global issues to promote greater understanding of the East Asia region. These new initiatives hopes to continue the important tradition of encouraging scholars and policymakers to learn from one another. I have the distinct honor and privilege of welcoming doctor Jun Park, who joined us today in a conversation about her latest book, Becoming Kim Jong-un, a former CIA officer's insight into North Korea's enigmatic young dictator. She's a senior fellow um, and the SK Korea Foundation Chair in Korea Studies at the Brookings Institutions. Prior to Brookings, she held senior position at the Central Intelligence Agency and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, where she led the US intelligence community's strategic analysis of North Korea as the Deputy National Intelligence Officer. At the CIA, her mission was daunting and challenging as she tried to figure out what is going on inside the mind of Kim Jong-un. I am a huge fan of of Dr. Park's work uh, and I highly recommend you reading her previous essay, um, her work and of course, her book. In her book, Dr. Pack uh, weaves into the story of a lot of different aspects, uh, including explanations of how the CIA studies difficult targets, which is available information to know, how Kim was raised and chosen for leadership, what inspiration he learned watching his father, but also understanding, most importantly, the legacy of his grandfather. Dr. Pack explores how we in the United States have the power to shape this nuclear-armed dictator's future incentives having come close to going to war in 2017. We're really privileged to have Dr. Pack with us today. Uh, We look forward to rich conversation, uh, at the end of which uh, we'll make sure to have enough time for all of your questions online. Um, If you wish to ask them via the Q&A on Zoom or via Facebook Live, uh, I will ultimately transmit those, um, some of those questions to Dr. Pack. But first, we're going to hear from Dr. Pack uh, with some opening thoughts. Um, I'd like to uh, provide a bit of background because I really enjoyed um, reading your book. And uh, one of the the bottom line that I learned is uh, structural forces alone are not enough uh, to account and explain for the course of history. We have to look at personalities. This is an important value added that your book is providing. We often heard the famous geography's destiny, history's destiny, but I am a firm believer that biographies and personalities are certainly extremely relevant and often excluded uh, in our policy conversation. This will not only be our topic of discussion, uh, but it will also give us the opportunity to think a little bit more broadly about North Korea, the United States and the return of great power competitions and other challenges around the globe. Uh, First of all, and we allow Dr. Pak to send, set up the scene a little bit, because um, you had been at, at the CIA when the major successions uh, started to play out inside North Korea. Uh, there's been a deluge of books um, on, on Kim Jong-un and North Korea. And I, I wanted to ask you, why did you write this book? Uh, and when did you start this project? And, and what you hope to achieve? So again, Dr. Pak, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll video, you over to you.
1: Patricia, thank you so much for that kind introduction and for inviting me to speak to IWP. Um, And thanks to everyone in the audience. I know there are lots of demands on your time with family and schoolwork and and your professional careers and other volunteer work. So, um, And I'm grateful for for anybody who spends time um, with me on these talks um, or in other discussions. So um, thanks to all of you and I look forward to your um, questions. Um, Patricia, you asked me why I wrote the book, Um, and as you mentioned, I've been watching um, Kim since he was a young 24, 25 year old um, being groomed by his father, um, all the way up to the summits of 2018 and 2019. Um, and so um, i left the I left the CIA in two thousand and seventeen um, and right afterwards there was the, the, the it was the fire and fury and locked and loaded period of really tense u s um, North Korea confrontation um, and Of course, um, as you mentioned patricia there's a lot there's a deluge there were reams of print uh, um, on kim jong un what's going on who is he? how do we get there get here to this to this place. Um, and I and I recognize that having been having having been watching Kim for so long that um, that there wasn't a comprehensive look at how we got here um, that um, there's a lot of great analysis and a lot of really deep expertise um, outside of the of the intelligence community um, but I found that um, that. A lot of these perspectives were coming from, you know, very good perspectives on from from arms control backgrounds, or um, international relations backgrounds, or political science, or East Asian history backgrounds. Um, but you know uh, that there wasn't this holistic look at what makes, uh, what motivates Kim, what are his preferences, what are what's his personality, and how does that influence his uh, foreign policy decisions and internal decision making. Um, how does history burden, but also empower him? Um, and I, you know, I wanted to uh, note that um, that before I went into the CIA, I was a uh, history professor of US history in New York City. Um, and so my background is a lot on, uh, of, that, of that history of the um, looking at biographies, looking at individuals who made a difference, individuals who made choices that changed um, world history. Um, and so I bring a lot of that into the book, which um, that which um, which is which doesn't read like the the things that I used to write in the Intel community, but it's much more um, it's. Uh, you know, it brings in history. It brings in art. It brings in architecture. It brings in culture and um, uh, marketization um, and human rights. So it, it brings in all of those um, things into this book. And I and I wanted to um, show how all of those factors are embedded in Kim's way of thinking um, and what that means for the United States. And those are aspects that
0: you really grasp in your book and also previous essays uh, work that you've done before. And I think what will be interesting to, to, to understand from, from your perspective is um, what we, from the outside, were not had no experience in the intelligence community or in policy, what we understand and what we didn't understand about Kim Jong-un back in 2009, 2010, 2011, when he became the leader. Because you mentioned in your book that you were looking for indications of instability uh, at the time. Uh, so what were you looking for then? And what are you looking for now? Especially um, when King Jong-un disappears for three weeks uh, and we had this you know, this brief um, uh, speculation about his death or incapacit- um, incapacitation uh, in April. So what, what are the kind of vulnerabilities that you, you've looked at back then and now um, to the limits that you can share?
1: I mean, some of the things that you would look for are um, big movements um, in the country, uh, whether it's troop movements or people voting with their feet, um, you know, average North Koreans um, uh, or uh, signs of unrest, um, what's happening with the with foreigners who are who might be located there, um, unusual uh, movements or recalling of people from overseas. Um, And I think some of those concerns and some of those um, things that we might've looked at, I think that was really complicated or really amplified by the fact that we had a 26, 27 year old who had very little government experience, much less experience running a country that has nuclear weapons. Um, and so, um, given the the fact that he w- that Kim Jong Un was so young, given the fact that his um, grooming process was um, just a handful of years versus his father, who had a couple of decades of tutelage under his father, um, that that amplified fears about um, a, a collapse. Um, or an implosion within the country or uh, or that a, or that there might be a military coup or some sort of movement against this young leader who is going to be um, uh, taking over for his father. Um, but it, as it turned out, um, and I tease this out in the book, um, is that um, he has uh, that Kim Jong-un has blown through all of those um, all of that skepticism, um, and that he really came, became leader of North Korea with more swagger and confidence than, uh, than one might expect from somebody who was so young and so inexperienced.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And in the book, actually to, to follow up what you just say, you met, you talk about
0: the, the aspect of functioning bureaucracy, uh, which is often, uh, underappreciated, uh, given that North Korea is an extremely organized system. Um, efficiency is questionable, uh, though. And I think, you know, um, having uh, studied uh, intelligence or having, you know, if you enjoy novels on intelligence, I think we're all familiar with, with the novel by John Le Carré on the spy who came in from the cold. Uh, and that reminded me of, you know, where the so called defective spy asks his East German handler, you know, I always admired the system. Uh, it's so efficient, and the East German response, but don't make mistake efficiency for organization, we just uh, well organized. So my question for you would be, you know, how King Jun-Woon stays in, in power uh, since you've seen the evolution and what has changed um, uh, as much uh, from what you've observed in um, 20, 2009 to today in 2020? In
1: um, I think that's a great observation, Patricia, in that um, I think when you um, look at North Korea, its um, its economy is at the bottom of the barrel. Um, it's run by this uh, dictator who threatens to kill everybody, and you know, and bomb the United States. And one assumes that it's this brittle and very fragile country that that uh, with the with the with the puff and a huff that it's just going to collapse. And I think that's not the case. Um, And what what uh, Kim enjoys is an institutional structure um, and an infrastructure of fear and repression that really holds the country together. So on the one hand, the country and the bureaucracies are, are very stovepiped and that's by design. Um, it's to ensure that there's no horizontal um, conspiracy or collaboration, it's to keep people stovepiped into their own very narrow area of expertise. Um, and the fear um, goes to that second um, uh, rung or, or the second category, which is that it keeps people, um, it put, it um, keeps people fearful of saying their mind or, or trusting, um, anybody, their coworkers, or, or or even their family members, um, and that keeps people from from speaking out freely. And this is the case in North Korea in general. Um, but I would also um, I also argue in the book that um, as soon as Kim came to power, he started purging hundreds of officials, and not just you know mid level or lower level officials. He was he was lopping off organizations at the head. Um, and of course, um, so when we look at um, I I consider how um, at, the, at, his father's, at his father's funeral procession, Kim Jong-un was surrounded by seven senior officials, whom we all understood as uh, being uh, protectors or regents or um, uh, a, the leaders of these bureaucracies that were to prop him up and to ensure continuity in the regime and to lend legitimacy to this young dictator. Um, but what Kim had done in the, in the first two years of his rule was that he, he uh, purged five out of the seven and the other two were slowly marginalized or disappeared. Um, and so they got into accidents, um, they disappeared, they, they were never heard from again. Um, and that puts a another heavy pall on the bureaucracy, in that you're not going to stick your head up and say something against this uh, the young leader, um, but that you're going to try to keep your head down to try to protect not just yourself, but also your your family members and the people closest to you.
0: Yeah, and also the way he operates as well was often compared to his grandfather more than his his father. And like you said in the book, they have a chapter called Bigger, Better, Bolder, which I think is, is, is very encapsulated and summarizes personality, even though without knowing um, the leader. Uh, but I think the, the you know, um, the growing confidence is, is one aspect, uh, but how do you factor in the impact of sanction um, as a motivation uh, as well for him? And, and how would you look at the second part of his policy on economic engagement, like you mentioned, and modernization? Uh, because at the end, he wants to, you know, make his modernize the country as, as, as much as he can and develop partnerships uh, and so forth. So is he moving beyond the nuclear issue? Is he saying, okay,
1: nukes are here, uh, but now I need, I'm, I need to know how I need to upgrade the economy. Uh, you know, you talk about the confidence, and I think even his father Kim Jong Il could not have imagined how um, adept and adroit um, Kim, that his son would be, his youngest child would be, in dealing with uh, dealing with leading this country um, among these very larger, more powerful, wealthier um, countries. Um, and so, what Kim does right away is this: he has this sense of confidence and swagger that. Um, I think, and this goes to the biography and looking at the personalities and looking at the context in which he was born and raised, um, that unlike his grandfather and father, so his grandfather had to fight Japanese guerrillas. Um, he, he saw famine, um, the grandfather saw a you know his uncles and his father and mother being beaten, um, starving children, um, the disgrace of being taken over by a foreign country. Um, fighting in the in the cold Manchurian battlefields um, and uh, and fighting against the the, greater powers. Um, Kim Jong-il had to suffer the indignity of the collapse of the Soviet Union and all of the aid and the political concessions and political support that that, uh, the North Koreans were able to generate as a result of that relationship. Um, There was a famine that killed as many as a million people, Um, and the fact that North Korea's economy began to go into a a downward spiral very quickly. Kim Jong-un, on the other hand, has only known an economically growing North Korea. In his adult life, he has only known A nuclear North Korea and you and of course you would say that that's true of his generation as well. So as time passes, um, he is reaping the benefits of his father's and his grandfather's labor Um, and the fact that he that Kim uh, is confident. I think that is born out of the fact that he is only known positive outcomes. Um, and being surrounded by sycophants and being surrounded by servants and people who are afraid to tell him or to criticize anything that he says or does, um, you can imagine how that would feed into his his sense uh, that he can do no wrong. Um, that even if he even if something does go wrong, it's not his fault, but it's the fault of others who are not uh, appropriately indoctrinated, who are not appropriately listening to his guidance or um, appropriately believing hard enough on the socialist um, and the communist um, project that North Korea is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that is where we run into danger, where how how does King know how long his leash is? Um, And I think he has been able to calibrate that. He has been able to calibrate provocative actions. Um, But what I worry about is that in the future, um, and maybe we can get to this later, um, in this conversation, is that um, that he might think that, that his leash is longer than it is as a result of his growing nuclear weapons capabilities, cyber capabilities, and other uh, means that he is uh, he has been honing.
0: And I'll, I'll shift gears a little bit. Uh, and since you 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 brought up you know how he's seen North Korea and how his grandfather seen North Korea, and shift gears with regards to China. Um, I think that that's an interesting way of. I think adding it right now in the conversation because the United States has employed a lot of a carrots and sticks approach in dealing with North Korea and continues to prevaricate um, over the approach, and its difficulty in in defining a clear clear path basically reinforces uh, Pyongyang's stance uh, and at the same time confirmed the rise of China as the most effective mediator uh, on the issue um, and. I believe that Beijing most likely has no interest in, in completely supporting Pyongyang's uh, dangerous foreign policy given the difficulty it presents in terms of bilateral and multilateral uh, relations for, uh, for China. So Kim Jong-un's relationship with, with China seems to be much more amicable uh, than it was between the PRC and, and his father, um, Kim, um, Kim Jong-il. So do you foresee Beijing
1: having more influence and control of Kim as their relationship continues to mature? Um, Actually, the relationship between Kim and Xi Jinping is very poor. Um, The two men do not trust each other. Um, And when we look back on the two men's rise, um, they rose to leadership at around the same time. Um, Xi Jinping became, was, became the leader. uh, in 2013, Kim Jong Un became the leader in late to, in December 2011, um, and of course, even before 2013, Xi Jinping was being uh, was being touted as the next leader of China. So, um, so when we look at that, um, the first six or seven years of Kim Jong Un's rule um, and of Xi Jinping's reign, um, that the the two were not were not really on speaking terms. Um, Kim Jong Un, because as a result of his desire to um, really press forward uh, and press the accelerator on the nuclear weapons program. He gave. Uh, he w- was not listening to Beijing. Uh, high-level visits came to a near standstill. Um, the lights were dark at the Chinese embassy because there were just no. There was just not that much going on, um, and that um, and and that uh, the the uh, the ties that his father had tried to build up in advance of the succession um, really ground to a halt. But but that said, um, since 2018, um, Xi Jinping has made greater efforts to make nice with Kim Jong Un, and Kim Jong Un has been doing the same. Um, And those are different; they have different motivations for doing that. Um, So while in the first six or seven years of Kim Jong Un's rule, Kim was much more focused on the weapons program, regardless of China's ire. Um, in in the uh, in the past couple of years um, Kim sees an opportunity to benefit and put a uh, and hedge between the United States and China um, so for for from Xi Jinping's perspective uh, Beijing's leaders were very much um, concerned um, as soon as President Trump said in March of 2018 that he was willing to meet with with Kim jong-un um, so it it wasn't. Um, and so, what the what China has tried to do since to early two thousand eighteen is to bracket every single U.S. North Korea meeting with the meeting of their own. They've also bracketed every single inter-Korean meeting with the meeting of their own, um, and that is to uh, to make sure that they know what's going to happen, and to also get the readout after what happens, um, and to uh, direct and shape and influence the in in the way that would be amenable or more. Uh, Positive for uh, China that would support China's preferences, but that said, you know Kim is uh, the uh, Kim has. There's no love lost between Kim and um, Chinese leaders, um, whereas his grandfather and father had long ties with um, Chinese leaders. Um, long ties with china uh, given their long tenures in power traveling there or you know with these uh, uh going through uh fighting the korean war together that there are very um, uh special uh you know uh, fraternal ties between um, the father and the grandfather and Chinese leaders. Not true with Kim Jong Un. Um, he spent, you know, four years of his childhood in uh, in Switzerland. Um, he was he was not uh, somebody who was traveling to China to learn in China by any means. Um, and so I would say that the the, the ties between Kim Jong Un to Beijing are much more frayed uh, and much more fragile than I think uh, we give that credit for. Um, but. Kim also recognizes that he needs China's support, um, and that explains uh, Kim's charm offensive at this point. Um, you know, even as Kim Jong Un is telling and is, is saying really horrible, nasty things to South Korean President Moon, um, and shutting the door on diplomacy with the United States, and really um, and calling you know U.S. officials, Vice President Pence and Secretary of State Pompeo, really terrible names um, that. Uh, Kim has not, has refrained from saying anything negative about China. Um, in fact, he has applauded um, or, or sent praise to Xi Jinping for his successful handling of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, North Koreans released a statement supporting China's sovereignty and autonomy in its dealings with with Hong Kong and and uh, and Taiwan. Um, and so, um, so Kim recognizes who's who. Uh, uh, who butters his bread, um, and um, I think we're going to see that for the, for the near, at least for the near to midterm. Um, but when, it com- when push comes to shove, um, Kim, uh, his focus is on ensuring that he has the autonomy and mm-hmm. that he's not afraid to thumb his nose at China, despite the fact, that, uh, despite, despite the fact of this overwhelming economic and political dependence on China.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned China's support because in some ways, China is supporting them in the shadows when it comes to technology. And this is where I want to bring the discussion um, where I was very happy to see a chapter on cyber, <laughs> on cybersecurity and how, how Nofkore is exploring, uh, you know, the Bitcoin mining, cyber attacks. So on the, econo- on the economic front, uh, how does Kim finances what he wants? And I think we've seen, um, uh, and, and you mentioned it in, in the book, is making military... Uh, first grade again, but it's also making cyber uh, first grade again in, in his stance, because for some um, for some people who are not as much familiar with how North Korea operates on the technology and the cyber side, uh, the only thing that comes to mind is the Sony attack in, in 2014. But North Korea has been extremely active since 2009, uh, where it, it started on July 4th with the DDoS attack against 27 U.S. companies uh, and commercial websites because they usually attack the United States during holidays because everyone is is not as, as focused uh, to to tackle those those threats. Uh, we've seen you know the, the 10 days of rain attack also DDoS attack, so they've been conducting operations uh, for a long time and it's you know the so- Sony was a game changing like you, you pointed pointed out in your chapter. Um, for two reasons, mainly because um, it showed that the US, um, that North Korea can disrupt uh, operation and information, uh, but also as well, the second aspect is how um, North Korea has the capa- the capability to be so destructive against a corporation, a US entity. So I, I wanted you to maybe offer a little bit of, of the perspective you offer in this chapter, uh, which I think will really help understand uh, what North Korea is doing in this domain.
1: Um, You know, one of the key takeaways that um, on the on that cyber issue is that um, in 2014, I was the um, when when Sony attack happened. um, I was the uh, deputy national intelligence officer um, on the National Intelligence Council Um, and and I remember the sense of Wow! Uh, North Korea did this. Um, they attacked um, a U.S. company and threatened um, 9/11-type attacks. Now, remember, this was in the context of Aurora, Colorado, when a uh, when a when somebody with a gun shot all these people. Um, and the fact that North Korea or some of these hackers associated with North Korea was threatening that kind of um, that kind of violence at a movie theater, you know, it resonated deeply with a lot of people. Um, so. But that, but you know, I think even to this day, um, there's some people who um, are very credible um, suggest that it can't have been North Korea. There's no way that it could have been North Korea. And the Sony executives at the time in 2014 said, "Hey, nobody told us that North Korea can do this." Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, the regime had threatened even, you know, when the trailers came out, you know, six months prior, six months prior to the the actual showing of the movie, um, that um, this is a disgrace. This was an ins- a grave insult, um, and they called it an act of war. Um, if we, you know, if, if Sony um, went through went ahead with this movie. Now, this movie, of course, um, for people who haven't seen it, um, is the it's a it's a bro-com um, where Seth Rogen and James Franco are um, recruited by the CIA to go into North Korea to try to assassinate Kim Jong Un. Um, and so, you know, you know, people at the time said, "I can't believe this is happening. How could it be North Korea? This is crazy." But, um, but the intel community, in pretty, qu- in pretty quick order, um, and of course, this is, you know, this re- this was a whole of government um, affair. Um, really, uh, really, ass- you know, came out and, and fully assessed that North Korea uh, and North Korean entities were involved in this hack. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that was, you know, that's troubling, and this is, I think, true, Patricia, and I know in your work, you, have you know, you've considered this as well, is that um, it's not so much of people dying or money being, um, money being withheld, um, but it's the fear. Um, I don't think we've seen any North Korean movies since then. Um, and that, um, and you know, Sony for a while said they weren't going to show the movie because they weren't, you know, they didn't want to cause any trouble, and people and they were nervous about, you know, what might ha- what North Korea might do. Um, but at the time, you, you know, even President Obama and lots of other experts said, you know, if you know this uh, this dictator in North Korea can't tell us how what movies we're going to watch, um, what movies can be made. Um, and if there's a dictator who um, uh, is being mocked, um, then he probably deserves to be mocked, um, and that um, and that this is our free society. Um, but I think the the what is so uh, what what puts a, a pall on on this affair is that um, it, it is nerve wracking. Um, that you can be held hostage um, to this country. To this day, North Korea denies that they did it, uh, but since then um, they've been involved in several other heists, uh, mining their own Bitcoin. um, And given some of the sanctions implementation on more traditional um, activities, um, this is a new frontier for for North Korea to try to generate revenue for the regime, which we uh, assume and assess would be going directly into the nuclear weapons program and into Kim's priority projects. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you touched on the nuclear program because I have so many follow-up questions, but this one will be the last uh, for me, and I'll let everyone uh, prepare the questions on uh, Facebook and and Zoom. Um, it's the, the the question of perception uh, because you mentioned that a lot, um, given also the your previous work uh, in intelligence. That's also a key key aspects. And there's been, you know, we have all the summit that we've seen uh, successful or not, depending on how, how we judge it and how we see it, there's been a lot made of uh, President Trump as a transactional president art um, of the deal. Uh, but some suggested that he seems himself more as a transitional president, more of a Reagan-esque figure. And I think depending on, on where things will go with the election and so forth, if he still remains, you know, replicate a lot of what President Reagan did before. And um, one of, of the, the article I, I've read, um, I, I can't recall from whom, but uh, one of, doing one of the summit, the North Korean vice prime minister um, had with him a book that he was reading about Gorbachev and Re- uh, Reykjavik and Reagan. And uh, I think that in some ways, are the North Koreans seeing themselves as being the new Soviets, um, or which, make, which can make some people sigh um, uh, regarding that, but I think that when, if you ask them, they see themselves as just being three powers, um, in the Pacific and it's, you know, the United States, China, and ourselves. That's, I, th- I think that's what they would say. So I think we, there's no under, um, estimation of how, of how they see themselves. Um, I think that some people suggested that what we're seeing now with Trump is, maybe a Kim Il-sung, Jimmy Carter meeting, or uh, maybe he seems himself more as wanting to break away from um, his, his his father and grandfather, like you mentioned. Um, so I wanted to get your perspective as, with, I mean, I understand nobody has a crystal ball, but given where we've been from the summit, successful or not, how do you see, do you see North Korea as being Having more of a, uh, the new Soviet position of the 23rd century, or is it a complete new um, perspective that we're seeing from them? I,
1: um, you know what what's so interesting is that I think that I mean I think the the uh, the failure of the of the Hanoi summit um, in February of 2019 uh, was a huge disappointment, and a, and and Kim Jong Un was deeply embarrassed by it. Um, you don't take a 70-hour train ride from Pyongyang to Hanoi um, to uh, just leave it the, in the middle before lunch um, and just you know, scurry back um, to Pyongyang. Um, and so I think this, you know, Kim, Kim had really high expectations and high hopes that President Trump could deliver. Um, But President Trump, of course, um, said that he wasn't he was not going to lift sanctions um, Mm -hmm. before uh, North Korea denuclearizes um, and that there was very little give um, on on uh, from the president's um, side. So I think uh, I think that was deeply embarrassing for Kim. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that while before Hanoi that Kim might have thought that this was something that could be a transformative event. I think what um, Hanoi and the accompanying uh, months and years have shown Kim is that um, that was to reinforce and validate his his belief that he can only trust himself. Um, that presidents come and go, and of course, this is something that his father and his grandfather knew. Uh, presidents come and go. Um, administrations change. They uh, jettison the prior administration's policies and treaties and um, agreements. Um, and this is something that President Trump has done trying to unravel some of the, unravel many of the things that the Obama administration um, made agreements on. Um and so I think what uh, what Kim has learned um, firsthand, uh, other you know, versus uh, reading or learning a, about it, you know, through uh, looking at what what happened with his father and grandfather, is that he is surrounded by people by uh, that he can only trust uh, himself. That he that he's the in charge of North Korea's sovereignty and autonomy, um, and that. Um, If anything, it it would only deepen his belief that um, he needs nuclear weapons. He needs to keep um, developing them. Um, But, and this is where the danger comes in, is that after all the fire and fury fury of 2017, what Kim has learned is that the US has no appetite for war, um, or any type of military conflict on the Asian continent. Um, And so that, that makes me think that he, Uh, That Kim thinks that um, his leash is longer than it really is and that the next time he starts threatening to um, detonate a a bomb over the Pacific Ocean or the next time he threatens to hit Guam that the next president or President Trump uh, if that's the case might take him seriously Um, and that there might be a series of miscalculations that, that lead to an actual military confrontation so I think that That's something that we really have to be watching out for, regardless of who the next president is. Um, Let's look at how uh, Kim's confidence is growing uh, and how um, his desire to make progress on economic developments might lead him to lash out um, to shore up his support internally, um, as well as to to show the outside world that he's not going to be cowed by an economy that's not doing very well.
0: Yeah. I have so many follow-up questions, but I'll open up to the audience because I see that we have a lot of very good questions. Um, one of them is um, when Kim Jong Un went missing from public view several months ago, uh, speculation was rampant that Kim was severely ill, and that his si- and that his sister uh, Kim Yo Jung, was the likely higher parent. Uh, can you comment on her status, position, and whether? In- um and whether it's fact that she's likely uh will be the likely successor of her brother
1: yeah um you know kim has had fewer meet fewer appearances this year um and uh let's i mean let's look at some of the observables right he has he's had fewer appearance public appearances this year at least uh, based on what we see in regime media secondly he's not his health is not great um he is obese um he uh, smokes heavily. He drinks heavily, and you can see um, from pictures that the regime releases that he's just getting bigger um, as he ages. Um, and when we saw him at the summits, um, even do, even during short walks to meet uh, up with President Moon or President Trump, you could hear the wheezing. You know, without the soft filters of the of the North Korean media and the propaganda machine, you can hear Kim. Wheezing, breathing heavily, sweating a lot, um, and um, and walking in a very awkward way, uh, which I think it, it is in part due to his his girth um, and his health status. So at this point, we still don't know what happened, why um, he disappeared um, for for three weeks um, back in April of 2020, um, and th- this is also when we start to see Kim Yo Jong, his 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 old, his younger sister. Start to make statements um, on her own, which she had not done before, Um, and and, um, I think there's a tendency to see the three men who had led North Korea to downplay the role that a woman might play um, in the regime. Um, But I've argued that um, I've argued elsewhere that um, the Kim Yo Jong, even at the age of thirty something. Um, has as much bureaucratic and government experience as her brother had when he came to power. Um, she's been at his, her brother's side doing various things and has held senior leadership positions in the regime since at least 2014. Um, and regardless of her of her womanhood or in the fact that she's a, she's a female Kim, um, what really matters in the in this Kim dynasty is the bloodline. Um, and so when, in. In October and December of 2019, this is when Kim Jong Un and his sister, um, and his wife, and other you know senior officials took that horseback ride up to Mount <laughs> Baekdu, you know, which is where this this mythical the mythical place, this very uh, sacred place where the Kim dynasty started. Um, that's that was by design. Um, the he Kim wants her at his side, and I think that she's got the experience. And at a very at a minimum. Um, with the blowing up of the the liaison office under her orders. At a minimum, her brother wants her to have military credentials um, Mm -hmm. to make it look as if that the military follows her and supports her um, and that she has that gravitas um, just in case.
0: And do you believe the military will follow her lead?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I think that that given the propaganda and the deep structure um, that really depends on, that elevates the Kim family, Um, Mm -hmm. that that really uh, uh, gives her a a step up Um, and that um, and I don't think we need to say anything I don't think we should assume that the military officials or senior officials feel differently or have different views about North Korea's direction than what the Kim family is doing so um, so I think even if um, even if something happened to the Kim's that or to Kim Jong-un that um, the military or whomever um, comes to power would find it useful to have a Kim at the at the as a figurehead at a minimum.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a lot of fascination for his sister. <laughs> I get a lot of questions. so I'll, I'll do follow up. Um, one
0: person asked, "What role do you think Kim Jong Un's sister uh, has played in either her brother's grooming for being the leader of North Korea and or to maintain his current control of the country?"
1: Um, you know, so. Uh, so Kim yo Jong has been at her brother's side. Um, she's the uh, she leads the propaganda and agitation department. Um, she was there, you know, you can see her hovering and lurking in the background. you know, she was at the summits with President Trump, holding his ashtray, um, you know, um, showing, you know, giving her brother the pen, uh, making sure that all of his papers were in order, carrying his bag, carrying the suitcase. Um, and, and just uh, and sh- so she's his de facto chief of staff, um, and so that clearly shows that he has the utmost trust in his little sister. Um, and so I think that um, I think that what what uh, Kim might be doing, judging from what we've seen, um, the fact that he's been elevating her, the fact that she's issuing statements in her own name, and she's ordering these military actions that um, that her brother is trying to hone. Um, or to or at least to, you know, to elevate, continue to elevate his sister um, and to delegate some, some, uh, some responsibilities to, um, to her. Um, you know, what are the motivations for that? Um, I think it could be a number of things. It could be to that, you know, a dic- even, even a dictator has only so many hours in the day that, um, that he might be trying to delegate some of these things to his little sister um, to make it a real family affair. It could also be, uh, and these are not mutually exclusive. It could also be that if something goes wrong, he can blame the sister, mm-hmm. um, and and to shield him and protect himself or inoculate himself from anything for things that could go go wrong.
0: Yeah. I got an interesting question on on social media uh, from someone who's following Japanese politics, uh, especially now with with the new leader um and they asked you know since we spend time on on Kim Jong-un how do you factor in Moon Jae-in in the South, on the South Korean side um and um and the lead that they feel they've taken and also uh what may be the difficulties uh, with all of these changes changes in Washington and in Japan to try to see how it's registering and how to keep U.S South Korea relation uh, how to keep the light between them
1: um I think one of the one of the difficulties um, of the past uh, couple of years with the summits. Um, so, so on the one hand, um, President Trump has been pretty harsh on the alliances, um, has mm-hmm. been seeing alliances in a very transactional way, um, has always beaten up South Korea over host nation support or the trade deal. Um, or, uh, you know, why do we have troops in South Korea? And he's been very public and very open about that, not just as president, but in the decades before um, he became president. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, the President Moon um, was, uh, was the one who made this happen, made the summits happen. Um, if you recall, it was the uh, South Korean president's envoys that went to North Korea first. Um, mm-hmm. And I suspect really massaged and polished um, whatever they said to Kim and whatever Kim said to them about denuclearization and desire to meet. Um, and so and so that's how the summitry happened. But as soon as that connection between Kim and Trump happened, I think the effect of that was that it marginalized South Korea. Um, South Korea doesn't have the power to get rid of sanctions. Um, we don't either. You know, you know, it, we have to it has to be congressionally approved and, you know, we should go to the U.N. Um, but uh, But you know that 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 leader to leader connection between Kim and Trump marginalized everybody else. And that's why Xi Jinping came running over to make sure that he was was in on the game. That's why Putin came running over to make sure that he was in the game. Prime Minister Abe, um, the former Prime Minister Abe tried with very little success to get anything with with Kim. Um, And so um, and so, uh, uh, despite all of this, President Moon has been trying desperately to try to get North Korea to sign on to further engagement, um, whether it's economic, military dialogue, um, and political meetings. Um, but you know, I think there's a, you can't dance alone. Um, North Korea has made it clear that they don't want to deal with Moon. I think there's a sense of betrayal um, that I think President Moon might have. Uh, Promised more than actually happened, um, and that uh, and that there's there's certainly a lot of um, harshness and and vitriol uh, that that Kim holds for the Moon administration. So, um, but regardless, President Moon is seems very much uh, intent on pushing forward against the locked door from my perspective.
0: Yeah. Um, there's some questions on the denuclearization um, and the future of North Korea, depending on who, which president gets elected in the fall without going into speculation as much. Um, could you envisage a set of circumstances or some realistic conditions that will actually convince uh, the North Koreans to give up their nuclear weapons? And if you cannot, then does the situation remain irresolvable given what the US objective is, which is
1: presumably to denuclearize the peninsula? Yes, um, that's why we have policymakers, and that's why we have diplomacy. Is that we have to keep pushing um, and to try to make as, as, as um, you know small progress uh, where we can, big progress where we can, where possible. Um, and um, because the the alternative is not where we want to be. The alternative is we recognize North Korea as a nuclear weapons power. We will not do that um, because of the message that it sends to other rogue states stick it out, just stick it through, um, disregard, threaten your neighbors, develop these capabilities, proliferate them to to other bad actors. Um, So we don't want to acknowledge that. We don't want to reinforce that kind of behavior. Um, And we also want to maintain and build um, and reinforce the nonproliferation regime that we've been working, that we and our partners have been working so hard at uh, at building. so you know the the key here is to um, have Kim understand um, and internalize that nuclear weapons make him less safe, um, mm-hmm. and that nuclear weapons are um, are that are uh, make his survival um, less secure, mm-hmm. um, and that he sees that choice between um, regime survival, He has to make that choice between regime survival. Or having nuclear weapons, um, we're still on the negative side of the ledger in that Kim sees nuclear weapons as ensuring um, his survival, um, and it's been baked into the regime's architecture, its art, its classroom histories, its arithmetic, um, and uh, in its culture, its you know, and um, uh, its amusement parks, etc. Um, and so given that it's going to be a, a very steep hill um, to climb, uh, but I think the, the alternatives are not where we wanna be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get a lot of speculation and comments online about you know what happened if Kim Jong-un decides to just move on, you know, and just move away from the Kim dynasty and, and towards reunification and, and democracy and that. I think um, begs the questions to, you know, comparing two systems, right? North Koreans being a dynasty versus the United States being an electoral politics. So one question was, you know, uh, how, you know, what America's North Korea policy would look like um, after November? And it's difficult to say, obviously, but what would be, you know, are we going to see more love letters that we already seen or are we going to see more meetings? How do you see that going forward because I think now we've reached a point where there's gonna be a some some time of of quiet basically, uh where uh President Trump's focus won't be as much on North Korea but more on the on, on the election. Uh, but after that, depending on who will be in the White House, how do you see you know the approach um from Kim Jong-un and 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 likewise in on the US side?
1: Yeah, um so I think that um I mean I think uh the problem here is that um, Kim Jong un gets the vote, the most important vote on what's going to happen. Um, and the fact that he is a singular actor versus the United States, um, we have Congress, we have an executive branch, we have um, you know various bureaucracies, and we need the, the the support of our allies and partners across the globe on to tackle North Korea. Um, so that there is just a that's just the the way the field is. Um, and I think that um, you know I I spent my career looking at things from Kim's perspective, mm-hmm. um, and I think from Kim's perspective that um, is that coercive diplomacy pays off. So from my view, um, it's just a matter of time before we see some uh, big weapons demonstration. Um, and that, uh, and from Kim's view, uh, putting a wedge among the allies uh, between the U.S. and South Korea, between South Korea and Japan, between China and the United States, that works um, because the weaker we are, um, the better it is for North Korea. Um, so, from, from if I were Kim, I would continue to do that, keep things bilateral. Um, I would try to keep talking about how hostile the United States is. Um, to try to make sure that there are no more u uh, s South Korea military exercises, that there are no more movies uh, made that look that make us North Korea look in a bad light, that no one talks about North Korea's human rights violations because that would be offensive to them, right? So I think those are some things that reinforce Kim's rule, um, that reinforce his hold on power, um, but uh, and also really highlight some of the deep, really um, the difficulties that we face in and crafting a sustainable, um, principled diplomacy um, to try to get North Korea back to the table and to engage in a really substantive way rather than just, um, you know, these very uh, fluffy summits.
0: There's one more question. Um, How closely do you see China and North Korea uh, cooperating or collaborating on their respective um, ballistic weapons program? Um, Yeah.
1: Um, I, I don't know that there is any ballistic missile cooperation. I think if anything, Beijing, you know, China serves as a, a, uh, a good transit point for North Korea's proliferation activities. Um, China has to w- walk a very, uh, you know, they have to be very mindful of the fact that, you know, to Uh, make sure that North Korea doesn't collapse and to give enough support that Kim doesn't, you know, uh, and to try to keep uh, Kim tethered, but they also don't want to empower Kim to think that he can just do whatever he wants. Um, So even, uh, you know, they're not going to um, give Kim the green light by saying we're going to defend you no matter what. Um, we're going to come to your aid no matter what. I don't think that's that's anything that they would say privately or publicly. Um, but that, um, but from China's perspective, um, Beijing blames us. Beijing blames South Korea and Japan um, for North for the way North Korea la- uh, lashes out um, and for North Korea's development of its uh, weapons capabilities.
0: And do you think it's possible to convince Kim that
1: nuclear weapons threaten his regime's viability instead of protecting it? Well, you know, we're, that's what we were trying to do with the sanctions um, that, uh, that you know, uh, in, in addition to proliferation activities, sensitive, you know, selling uh, sensitive nuclear and ballistic missile technologies, um, North Korea made a lot of money um, from coal imports, um, coal exports rather, seafood textiles, um, iron ore, um, and a lot of those natural resources that were a boon for um, senior military officials, anybody associated with these trading companies, and for the regime because they can start vacuuming up as taxes. Um, so, with the with the intent of this maximum pressure sanctions, which I really supported with the Trump administration, was that um, that if you you know Kim said he wanted to have both, you know, North Korea was going to have nuclear weapons and economic prosperity. What um, the U.S. was trying to do is to show that no, we're going to squeeze that economic. Uh, pros- you know, pro- prosperity uh, prong of your your goal, um, and that and it's going to sharpen the choice for Kim that he can have economic prosperity or nuclear weapons. Um, the problem with the summitry of 2018 and 2019 is that it really let the air out of the of the pressure campaign um, that, uh, that and, and that was almost certainly Kim's intent um, to, by by turning or pivoting toward diplomacy was to try to dampen the appetite for sanctions implementation, not just by US but also China, uh, Southeast Asian countries, African Middle Eastern countries. There's more questions, but we're running out of time. So I will leave some time as well for you, Dr.
0: Pack. So let me thank you uh, again for joining us. Um, I thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed this discussion and, and for all today. Thank you. I really recommend you reading uh, Dr. Pack's book and thank you IWP for hosting uh, this webinar and I, I wish everyone manages to stay well, sane and safe. <laughs> so
1: thank you very much, Dr. Pack and I you hope to welcome you in person at IWP thank you patricia and it's uh, and thanks to all of you for your questions and for tuning in today thank you